God for us, we call you Father. God alongside us, we call you Jesus. God within us, we call you Holy Spirit. Well, the earth has made it round the sun another time, and here we are on Trinity Sunday. The great mystery of Christianity. Mystery doesn't mean something that is unknowable, but something that is infinitely knowable. A truth that cannot be contained in words because it is beyond words and is best hinted at in metaphors, dreams, poems, paintings. The great Christian mystery, unique to Christianity of all the religions on earth. How do we worship one God and divide God up into three? In early Christianity, they believed this man Jesus, who was crucified, dead, and buried, was still alive and with them in their experiences in worship and in their lives. So how do you fit this reality into the Greco-Roman worldview of rational thinking and uniformity? These early Christians wanted to prove to the world that Jesus was God. That they, what they knew to be absolutely true fit the worldview mindset of Greek thinking and Roman standard of order. Thus creeds, doctrines emerged, putting the mysterious into concepts made up of words, expressed in tiny words. The doctrine of the Trinity was fought over and created. To this day we chant it together every Sunday in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God. I love stories and narratives. I love the stories in the Bible, especially in Genesis. The doctrine of the Trinity is not a story in the Bible. So we have to develop our historical imaginations to flesh out what the people of the early centuries experienced in the context of the world they lived in. This amazing priestly story in Genesis of God creating the world is one text always read on Trinity Sunday. It was a told story, oral in nature, until the Hebrew people were returned from exile to Judah 700 years before Christ. It was then the Hebrew scholars and editors decided these cherished stories must be written down to preserve them forever. To preserve a story and to preserve a doctrine seems to me to have different effects on us. However, along comes the 20th century with Einstein, Niels Bohr, the new scientists, the new sciences of relativity, quantum mechanics, and chaos. 
and for many theologians, a renewal in their understanding of the dynamics of the Trinity. Maybe the wrestling around in the third and fourth centuries of people trying to understand the cosmic dynamics happening to them were armed to something that they had not the knowledge to express or they expressed it the best way they had at hand. Theologians such as Cynthia Bourgeau, Richard Rohr, George Gurdjieff, Thomas Keating, Jacob Bem, Elia Delio, Tehar de Chardin, Carl Rahner. These people are building bridges, connecting religion and new science, modern science and ancient faith. Cynthia Bourgeau, in her new book, The Holy Trinity and the Law of Three, unfolds her knowledge and experience of the radical truth of the heart of Christianity. In her book, she assesses the full wingspan of Trinitarian space and time to St. Paul's visionary cosmic truths so that faith and cosmology could unite as a whole. Cynthia is fond of quoting G.K. Chesterton's marvelous quip, Christianity isn't a failure, it simply hasn't been tried yet. The truth is, it has to be tried. The time is ripe for the fruit of it to be savored, digested, and used, both within ourselves and in all creation. Christianity has come all the way into the 21st century, into the cosmic reality of Genesis, the relationship that exists between all created things, both on earth as it is in heaven. The web of connectedness we call relationship is never static. The smallest input at the beginning will pick up energy and quickly become overwhelming at the output. This has been jokingly called the butterfly theory. The butterfly stirring its wings in Beijing today can transform storm systems next month in New York. Truth, real truth, is seamless and indivisible. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some describe this Trinitarian code as three persons and the space between them, the energy between them, is love. From the Creator to the Incarnation into the creating, one completely emptying oneself into the other infinitely. God is relationship. Always opt for the relationship.
this is a rule of thumb that I'm learning in life. Always opt for the relationship. So let's look at some practical examples. <coughs> I raised my sons using Dr. Benjamin Spock's books, and I can't remember the titles of them, but any parent my age would know who I'm referring to. So this is it. Two of my sons were having a very loud fight downstairs. I hear, I'm going to tell mom. And here they came pushing and shoving up the stairs to try to capture me for each cause. This is how it went. John said, Mom, how did so and so? And then I said, to how? John said, you did such and such. And then Hal said, but Mom, John did so and so. And then I said, John, Hal said, you did such and such. Back and forth they went. And I, thanks to Spock, just repeated back to each son what each had said. <laughs> and watched back and forth. I watched the ball fly over the net into each court until they just shrugged and went off. <laughs> Probably in separate directions. But what happened here? Bougeot writes that there are three dynamics that take place in relationships that can lead to a new thing. The affirming the denying, and the reconciling. All three have equal value. You can't skip over the problem, for the energy of the denying has to be part of the creating of something new. Well, I won't drag it out any further, but these two sons are now in their 50s and are very good friends. But I can't leave out my third son since it's Trinity. My youngest son, Dan, and I were paired in a canoe on the Buffalo River. His two brothers were paired in another canoe. Dan, in the stern of the canoe, said, Mom, I know the secret of paddling down the river and not turning over. You just use the power of the water to get you where you want to go instead of fighting against it. And looking ahead, we could see the other two flailing their paddles and trying to control the river. And we just smiled and waved they as they turned over. We just smiled and waved and slipped by them. Richard Rohr describes it like the little child who wants to slip into bed between his parents at night and reach out and feel each on either side. Richard Rohr calls the Trinity the dance of God, or the shape of God, the dynamic energy called love all-inclusive, all-empowering, all-loving, all. -inclusive, all, -empowering, all, -loving, all. 
Yahweh has never stopped creating. And humankind has never stopped trying to figure out how God does it. Why? Maybe because we want the same power. We want to be as God. And maybe we are to be as God. A God who is love, who allows, who lets be, who brings new things out of chaos, who holds little children and knows their value and worth, who can sweep over our pain and weep over it, who wants all creation to be whole. A God who took on the form of his creature and draws us humans into the cosmic dance of creation. Every time we say the creed, we say we believe in the maker of all that is seen and unseen. It seems that creation has many dimensions. What we see and experience on this historical level of reality also has an unseen dimension of reality. There's a wonderful story that Richard Holloway, a British theologian, tells of his good friend Roderick in his book, The New Heaven. I'd like to share it with you. There was an elderly priest in inner city London. I don't know if London has inner cities, but that's how I imagine it. He was a loving, kind pastor to his very diverse flock of people full of contentions with each other. There were marital problems, alcohol, drug abuse, fear of what's happening in and to the world, zealots who wanted to change the world, there was danger, discord, violence, and much disbelief. And this priest was old and tired. One evening he sat down on a back pew to pray and rest. He fell asleep, and as he slept, he had this dream. He heard a voice saying to him, This is the new Pentecost. And then he saw the followers of Christ gathered together in one place and they began to speak in different ways as the Spirit gave them utterance. One poured forth her love of Jesus in a prayer of great beauty. Her face shone and gradually others came out of the shadows and joined her and the place where they were was filled with praise. When the prayer ceased, they stood there still, their arms held up to heaven in adoration. Then a young man stepped forward, his face twisted in anguish and longing, and he began to speak haughtingly and strangely questioning an unseen presence, known and yet unknown. <clears throat> As he spoke, others joined him. 
some with books still in hand and questions written across their faces. Their voices searched the air and they too were held in the circle as their voices slowly ceased. Over there, a young man started shouting, his face darkened with anger and pain. He was pointing to a large number of people, too large to count, who were crippled and maimed, the blind and the crazed, the ragged and the broken, who stood on the outside of the circle. The circle opened. And the strange, sad population entered and gathered around the young man until he ceased crying. Then in silence, on the other outer edge of the circle, someone tried to suppress a sob with that painful catching of the breath that tears the chest. Quietly, the circle opened to reveal a well-dressed man, his face contorted with grief and confusion, tears pouring down his face. Many others joined him, upright men and women in business suits, clutching briefcases, tentative now, unsure of themselves, yet held in the circle. Nothing, it seemed, could be kept out of that radiant circle. It extended to the horizon a great multitude which no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and tongues, each praising the Lamb of God according to the knowledge given to him. As soon and soon the grass and the stones and the birds in flight were crying out to that center where stood the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And then he saw that all creation revolved around that strange center. Each thing was held in that mysterious orbit no matter how furiously it plunged away into space. Finally, he saw the whole universe, every immeasurable fraction of it, all of the time, all of the vast reaches of the ages. And he saw all struggle and loss, every wound and battle waging, all separation and going down into dust was there. And he saw every leaf that ever was, and all love, and the singing of it. Beauty was there, and failure. And every road not taken, each heart-stopping moment since the foundation of the earth, held together at last in one colossal shout of praise, the great and final Amen of a transfigured creation. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The priest awoke with this shout ringing in his ears.
And there in that dark church, he laughed and laughed and laughed at his fears and the smallness of men and women that they must limit and define not only each other but the very ways of God. Amen, he shouted as he remembered the unlimited love of God, that long rope that stretches itself right into hell and out the other side. Amen, he shouted as he made his way home past startled walkers and strollers. Amen to each and to all, for the Lord God reigneth. Amen, he whispered, as the tears began to flow. Amen.